Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Okay, today we're going to be talking about forgiveness. I'll just be up front with you. You're going to get challenged today, because I got challenged as I put this together. How do we forgive when others have hurt us? How do we forgive when someone has betrayed us? Maybe a friend, maybe a spouse, maybe a family member someone close to us. We all know that we're supposed to forgive. You see, to be Christian is to be forgiving, but to be human is to be unforgiving. It's one of the most difficult things for us to do as humans, as people, is to forgive. We've been studying the story of Joseph, and as we're coming now in this chapter to the climax of the story we realize that Joseph is a guy that had reason not to forgive his brothers. He had every reason to harbor resentment and bitterness and anger against his brothers, but yet he learned to forgive them. As I was thinking about this topic and and thinking about this passage, the Lord led me to something the Apostle John said in in 1 John 2, verse 11. It says, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. You see, an unforgiveness leads to hatred, and hatred causes blindness, and we can't see what's going on. We can't understand what God is doing because we're enshrouded in darkness. And so we can't see. We can't be guided by the Lord. We can't understand what's going on around us. So today I'm going to, I'm going to share with you three challenges that come from the story of Joseph. Three challenges that if we get a hold of them, have the power to break unforgiveness in our lives and to draw us out of darkness and into the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? So here we go. Here we go. We're going to take a look at the first of these challenges, and that is to see the growth in others. You have to see the growth in others. If you've taken the time to read the entire Joseph story, you realize that chapters 42 and 43 and 44, in these chapters, Joseph sets traps for his brothers. It is weird. You read it and you're going, really? This is bizarre. What is he doing? We're going to take some time to walk through this first and then talk about what the significance of is it in, in, in the passage. So in chapter 42, we have the first trip down to Egypt. And what happened was the people of God, this is now Jacob's family. There's about 70 of them by now. And uh, they ran out of food. They're in the midst of this time of famine that had been prophesied to 
uh, the Pharaoh in a dream, and so they're in the middle of the, of the skinny cow years. And as a result, the people in Canaan are starving to death. And so Jacob's sons say, we need to go down to Egypt in order to buy food. And so they go down to Egypt, and as fate would have it, or the will of God, these guys end up standing before their brother Joseph, who they had sold into slavery 13 years before, or 15 years before. And so there they are. They don't recognize Joseph because he's all decked out like an Egyptian. You know, he's got the whole Egyptian thing going on, and he's probably shaved bald, and he's wearing his gold chains and his white robe, and he's speaking Egyptian, and he's standing up before them, and they don't know who he is, but he knows who they are. And immediately, he accuses them of being spies, and he takes Simeon, the second oldest brother, and he puts him in prison. And he says, look, if you don't come back and bring with you your youngest brother so that I can verify that the story you told me is true, then I'm going to continue to believe that you're spies and I'm going to keep your brother in prison. And don't think you're going to come back and buy food in Egypt because the moment you come back, if your brother's not with us, then I will know that you're spies and I'll throw you all in prison. So they return to Canaan, and he puts their money back in their bags, and they get back to Canaan, and they tell their father what happened, and the father says, look, I've already lost my son Joseph, and now I've lost my son Simeon. I can't bear to lose Benjamin. He's my little baby. I don't want to lose him, and so as a result, they decided not to go back to Egypt to cut their losses and just forget about it. But the famine was so severe that they were starving to death and they didn't have a choice. They had to return. And so Judah stands up and he says, look, Dad, I will guarantee the safety of the boy. Let me take him down to Egypt so that we can get food and save the lives of our families. And so finally Jacob relents and they take Benjamin and they go back to Egypt, and they stand before Joseph again, and Joseph throws them a big party, and he gives more than a double portion to Benjamin, and he lavishes him with gifts, and then after it's over, he sends them back with bags of grain. He puts their money back in the bags, and he puts a silver cup that belonged to him, to Joseph, in the bag of Benjamin. He immediately sends his guards after the brothers, and they discover the silver cup, and they bring them back. And you ask the question, what is going on? Why is Joseph toying with his brothers like this? This seems cruel. Why is he doing this? And the answer is this. Joseph was providing the opportunity for his brothers to betray Benjamin and sell him into slavery in Egypt for their own benefit in exactly the same way they had done to Joseph years before. He gave them the opportunity. He served it up on a platter for them to see if they had changed, to see if they were still the same men that they had been before. 
when we've been hurt by someone. We can't see who they are. We can only see who they were at the time of the offense. That person is frozen in time. That person is frozen in time. That's why I put Elsa up here, right? Because we only see them through the eyes of our pain. We only see them through betrayal and through the offense that we've experienced. And we have to let it go. Let it go. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. But do you see what I'm saying? That person gets frozen in time and we only see them for who they were and not for who they become. But time and the hand of God has a way of changing people. Joseph took the time to look and to see how God had changed his brothers. Almost a third of the story up until this point is, is, is based on these, these traps, these tests that, that he derives for his brothers. And he does it because he wants to see who they have become, who they are right now, if they have changed. He saw that Judah had matured. It's interesting that if you look in Genesis chapter 38, we see this crazy story about Judah and his family. And what's strange about it is that it's embedded in the story of Joseph because Joseph's story, the story of the coat of many colors and him getting sold into slavery, all happens in chapter 37. And then immediately we go into this story of Judah and you ask the question, I've always asked the question, why is the Judah story, this weird story, in the middle of the Joseph story? And the answer is this, because God was at work in the life of Judah changing him, transforming him into the person that he needed to be. You see, in this crazy story about Judah, he ends up losing two of his sons. Two of his sons are killed because they're wicked, and God pronounces judgment upon them, and they die. And not only that, Judah gets hung up and mixed up with his daughter-in-law and does some crazy... I'm not even going to get into it, but if you think Netflix is exciting, you should read chapter 38 of Genesis. It's crazy stuff seriously. And so all of this is going on, and in the process, it matured Judah. So at this point, when Jacob says, I've already lost two sons, I can't bear to lose another, Judah finally could understand it. He had lost two sons. You see, God was at work in his life, changing him, transforming him, he understood now the depth of his own wickedness and his own depravity. You see, God wanted to change Judah. Let me, let me hit you with something really interesting here. Because Jesus doesn't come through the family of Joseph. Jesus comes through the family of Judah. You see, God had to change Judah's life. God had to transform this man who was wicked into someone who would follow him, who would be a man of wisdom and honor. And so God did it. He changed him. He changed him into that person. You see, Judah stepped up, and he offered himself in the place of Benjamin. He sold himself into slavery. 
he was willing to go himself and become a slave in Egypt in order to guarantee the safety of his younger brother. Time, life, God's discipline works to break this selfishness that exists in our lives. It works to break the sin in a perfect person's life that led them to betray us and to hurt us in the first place. That's what God is doing. He's not only at work in us, but he's at work in the person that hurt us. But it's easier to judge and to continue to hate than to look for evidence of a changed life. But in order to see that change, we have to come out of the darkness that's caused by the hate of unforgiveness. Some of you have festering feuds in your families. Things that have been going on for years. Some of you students, maybe you have a friend who has really hurt you, really betrayed you, and you're angry with them, and you've continued to, uh, to, to have a spirit of unforgiveness against them. And it may have lasted for years. Because we continue to see them in the same way as we saw them at the moment that they sinned against us, at the time when they offended us and hurt us. We have to stop. We have to see what God has done in their lives. Can God change them? It comes down to whether we really believe that God can redeem people. That God really has the power to change people. We say that we believe that. We say that we believe that God can change people, but yet when it comes to forgiving people that have hurt us, we keep seeing them the way that we've always seen them. We see them like they were 20 years ago or whenever they committed the sin against us and hurt us. I want to challenge you today to open your eyes to open your eyes and to come out of the darkness and to see the growth in other people. See what God is doing in their lives because that is the first step toward forgiveness. Let's take a look at the second challenge. The second challenge is to see the sovereign hand of God at work. Joseph suffered a great deal in his life. He spent 13 years as a slave, or even worse, as a prisoner in prison. That's a long time. That's a lot of suffering, and all of it was due to his brothers. But he came to see that it was for the salvation of his family and the blessing to the world. It was the purpose of God. Look at what it says in verse 5. It says, I am your brother Joseph the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You see, Joseph understood what God was doing, that even through the evil intentions of his brothers, God was working out his good plan for Joseph and in Joseph. We must open our eyes and take stock of what God is doing in our lives as a result of the terrible things that have happened to us. 20 years ago, 
I was a missionary. And I always thought that I would continue to be a missionary. That's what I thought I would do for the rest of my life. I lived in Costa Rica. I was happy there. I worked for a mission agency that I had poured my life in to develop. And then the, all of a sudden the door closed. And it was because of a person. The person that I most trusted that closed the door for me to continue to work in the mission agency that I was in. And I had to deal with this issue of unforgiveness. But you know what happened? Then the Lord opened the door for me to be here in this place, to become a pastor here at this church. And I had no idea that God was calling me to be a pastor. I was living in Costa Rica. It's like paradise. <laughs> and God called me to live in Oklahoma. <laughs> I mean, what a trade. But it's the same as Joseph, isn't it? Joseph was living in the land that God had promised to him. But yet he forcibly took him from that land through the offense of his brothers, and he placed him in a different land. But it was all the hand of God. And it was the right thing for Joseph. And it was the right thing for me. And it took me time to realize that. But that's what God does. And how then can we hold resentment against a person who did such a thing to us when we see that it was God orchestrating the whole thing from the very beginning? We realize that God was at work. And when we have that realization, then all of a sudden it becomes possible to forgive. But you know, it doesn't always work out that we get promoted, that we get to wear the gold chain and ride in the brand new chariot and uh, just like Joseph and become the vice pharaoh of the land. It doesn't always work out that way, right? And then we're left asking the question, all right, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? What's going on here? It's difficult, but maybe that blessing that God has for us is not material. Maybe it's a spiritual deepening of our walk with the Lord. In Joseph's case, the pride and the immaturity that caused, at least in part, his brothers to throw him in a hole and sell him into slavery was finally broken in his life. You see, Joseph was an immature person. And he needed to be transformed. And God changed him through the difficult circumstances that he lived. He created in him humility. And he broke that pride that was in his life. It is in the pain and the adversity that comes into our lives that makes us grow. It is the pain and adversity that strips away the sinful attitudes that we carry. You see, we have to remember God's objective. What is God's objective for us? It's to make you more like Him. God's objective is not to make you comfortable. It's not to make you happy. It's to make you more like Him. Amen? Isn't that right? Well, think about it. I think about it in my own life. There are so many times that difficulty have come into my life. And what does that difficulty cause me to do? 
It forces me to seek God like I've never sought God before. Difficulty comes into my life, and it causes me to cry out to the Lord like I've never cried out to him before. It's caused me to seek him in his word and to study to try to understand what he's doing and what his plan is for me like I've never studied his word before. That doesn't happen in the good times. Am I right? I mean, we don't seek God like that when everything is going well, when everything happens like we think it should. That kind of thing only happens when we experience loss and tragedy and difficult, difficulty and betrayal, that's when we seek the Lord. And isn't that what God wants for us? Doesn't he want us to seek him with all of our heart? Doesn't he want us to turn to him and cry out to him, God, I need you more than anything else in life. Doesn't he want that for us? Doesn't he want us to scour his word to try to figure out what he's trying to do and understand his will? Absolutely. So you begin to understand that God allows these things to happen in our lives to transform us and to change us into the people that he desires us to be. God forged Joseph in the fires of adversity that were caused by his brothers. All of the fire in Joseph's life was caused by his brothers. But yet God was forging him into into a man of integrity, into a man of patience, a man of wisdom, a person of faith and faithfulness to God, a man that God could use. And God had a big job for Joseph, a job that he wasn't ready for. But God used the tragedy and difficulty in his life, the betrayal in his life, to make him into the man that he needed to be so that God could be glorified through him. I want to challenge you to open your eyes, to come out of the darkness, and to see what God is doing in your life, to see the sovereign hand of God at work in your life. Maybe he's bringing you into a position or a place where he can use you. Or maybe he's forging you into a person with the right kind of knowledge and understanding and wisdom and experience that God can use for a special purpose. This is what God is doing The final challenge that I want us to think about today is to see the urgency of the mission. Joseph knew what God was doing. Joseph knew what God was doing because he had interpreted the dream of Pharaoh. And he knew that God was on a 14-year program to bring first prosperity and then terrible famine into the whole region around Egypt. And he had a sense of urgency about what was going on. Look at what he says to his brothers. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now hurry back, he says, to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down. Don't delay. Don't delay. Hurry up. Get yourself back to Canaan. 
get your stuff, pack up your sheep, get your wives and kids, and get back here to Egypt. Why? Because this famine is not over. You think it's bad now? It's going to get worse. We're in the middle of the skinny cows, baby. It's getting worse. And as it gets worse, people are going to get desperate, and it's dangerous for you to be out there, and I can't protect you unless you get back to Egypt where I can protect you. You see, Joseph has a sense of urgency about him because he understands the mission. He understands the future. Well, the same is true for us. We know the future, don't we? This world is rapidly becoming unhinged. Amen? This world is crazy. And it's only going to get worse. The farther our culture moves away from God, the more difficult it's going to become. The more difficult it's going to become for the church. And we're going to become more and more isolated. And as a result, we don't have time for unforgiveness. We have got to forgive one another. We have got to begin to love one another and draw together in unity. Amen? Because the situation is urgent. The situation is urgent. Jesus will return one day, and the door to salvation will be closed. Isn't that right? Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, man, it's game over. It's going to be written on the sky. Game over. Done. Finished. Over. And everyone who's come to know Jesus up until that point will enter into glory. And everyone else, it's not going to be good. And many of them will be people that we know and love. There's got to be a sense of urgency with us. And there's no time for unforgiveness. Somebody could die. You know, death comes sometimes really unexpectedly. People die, and we were like, I never got to share with them the truth about Jesus. But it's over. We've got to have a sense of expectation, a sense of urgency about the mission that God has called us to. The apostles lived with a sense of urgency because they expected Jesus to return at any time. And we need to have that same sense of urgency. And there's just no time for unforgiveness. There's just no time for it. You see, God is calling us to open our eyes. He's challenging us to come out of the darkness and to, to understand, to see the urgency of the mission and to forgive to become people of forgiveness. Joseph understood it. Jesus, of course, modeled it. Jesus hung on the cross, if you remember, in agony after being tortured. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How do we do that? How can we be people of forgiveness? We've got to come out of the darkness of the hatred and the hurt that blinds us. We need to open our eyes and we need to see the transformation in others. We need to see the sovereign hand of God at work in our own life. And finally, we have to embrace the urgency of the mission that God has called us to. And when we do these things, when we embrace these challenges, 
then all of a sudden, forgiveness will become a possibility through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to be a people of forgiveness. And we know that it's hard, Lord God. We know that it's so, so very difficult. But yet we trust in you and we know that you are with us to help us, that you are at work in our lives and even in the lives of our enemies to mature us and to mature them and to change us, Lord God, so that we will become the people you desire us to be. May we truly grasp the urgency of our mission to share the truth of Jesus Christ with a world that is rapidly falling apart. May we do that, Lord God, and forgive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.